how are we doing? We good? It's a beautiful day. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and you might go ahead and stick maybe a thumb in Genesis 1. We're going to be skipping around to several different places today to kind of get at where uh, um, we're going. And so Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start, though. Uh, I think I kind of used this in, in illustration maybe a few weeks ago. Um, have you ever been, maybe you're a guy, you're on a road trip, you're with your family, whatever, and you look up, you've been driving for several hours, and you look up and you're like, I have no recollection of the last hour. You ever been there? Like you're driving and, and then this thought hits of, I don't remember seeing one sign. I don't remember. Did I kill something? Did I run? I have no idea what happened for the last hour. And so um, when I look at like the last month of my life, it kind of feels like that. And so um, Laura's pregnant, okay? And uh, she had the baby two weeks ago today. And to go back about a month ago, um, before that, we just signed on the close of our house that we were selling back in, in Mansfield. And so... Uh, once you close on a house like that, it, it instantly puts you into, oh no, I'm about to be homeless mode. I mean, I've got to do something quick now. And so we're in the, oh no, I'm about to be homeless mode. And we're in the frantic home search down here. And so, you know, we're cruising neighborhoods. We're doing all that trying to find a home here. Now, let me fast forward and jump ahead. Um, our closing date for our home that we were selling and the home we were buying was one day after Laura was due. Now, she totally messed that thing up. I, she ended up having it a couple of days prior. So we've got Caleb. We move in. Chaos has ensued, right? Okay, so now to go back, um, we're in the, oh, no, about to be homeless mode. We're, we're hunting for houses. We're doing all that. Um, we're driving all these neighborhoods. Down, like, I know Midlothian better now than I ever have. You know, like, I, I know, I feel like I know Midlothian. And so um, it, here's what's interesting if you just go cruise through neighborhoods. Here's what you're going to see in almost every neighborhood. Most neighborhoods are going to have this. Um, in the back of the homes in neighborhoods, you're going to have these big fences. We call them privacy fences, right? And, and typically, they're like not the see-through variety. We're not talking chain link. We're talking you can't see through these fences. We're talking you've got to harness up, get your rock climbing gear to get over them, right? And so we're talking privacy fences. And so almost every neighborhood you have around here is going to have privacy fences. Keep them out. Let us in. I mean, you, you get the picture here. Okay, and now every neighborhood's going to have this, though. Most have that. Every neighborhood's going to have this. Um, and this is great. Isn't it great to have an attached garage? I mean, it's great. You just walk out of your, I mean, you're into the garage. It's a good thing, right? And so, but not only do we have attached garages, we have remote access to our garages, right? So all we have to do is push a button. We drive into our home, push it again. It closes behind us. Okay, so here's what this creates for anybody that wants it, and most people do. It creates an environment where you can leave at 7.30 for work, 7 o'clock, whenever you leave for work. You go do your job, do all that. You come home, push the button, drive in, close it, and you have spent a day without being available at all to your neighborhood completely isolated from every you don't have to talk to anybody around you if you don't want to push the button go in push it again and now you have hidden behind the cave right we live in a culture and a time of isolation like if our culture does something to us this is one of the things it does to us we live in a time and a culture that completely isolates people 
Okay, I heard this, uh, this statistic by a guy named George Gallup, kind of a big pollster. He's going to say this, um, that the American is the most lonely person on the planet. Now, I think that's even accentuated when you get into suburbia America. Behind our fences, behind the, the castles of our homes, the most lonely people on the planet. I, I've read this statistic, uh, statistic this week that 44% of people living in suburbia are intensely isolated, intensely lonely. Isn't that something? We live in a culture that has really fostered isolation in us. Okay, now, um, I, I don't know how many of you like the Discovery Channel. I kind of look at the Discovery Channel as the Bible for men, you know? Like, you just pop that on, and you've got it out there, right? The Discovery Channel. And so, I, like, if you watch Planet Earth, anybody Planet Earth guy? Yeah, okay, Planet Earth is absolutely amazing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch the Discovery Channel, all right? Planet Earth. And so, one of my favorite episodes, it is a wild, wild scene. I mean, it is like one of those, you're like, did that just happen scene? Okay, so um, they're following this pack of lines, this pride of lines. And so these lines are to the desperation point. Like, they're not, I just missed a cheeseburger. They are, I'm looking at my arm and it looks good. I'm so hungry right now. I mean, that's to the point they are. They are in serious, serious uh, shape here. Okay, now in the middle of this, it's night. And they're using this kind of infrared night vision stuff, kind of taping this. This herd of elephants come right through this pack of lines, this pride of lines, to the water hole. Okay, now typically elephants, typically elephants are not the people that get picked on, you know, even by lines. They're typically the people who have kind of the right and the reign of any place they are. Okay, now here's what's funny. You've got this pride of lines looking at this pack of elephants, and they're seriously thinking about it. Like, you, you know, kind of that inquisitive look? That's what they've got, like... I'm really thinking about jumping on an elephant right now. I'm going to get killed, but I'm so hungry, I might do it. Okay, so uh, they, they think the best of it. They don't, they don't make the move. Now, five minutes later, okay, the, the, the pack of elephants has already moved through. This one lone elephant got separated from its pack, comes chopping through this pride of lines. In an instant, without even thinking about it, 15 lions are running full speed at this elephant, launching themselves onto this elephant's back. This elephant goes into, oh no, crazy mode. He is just, I mean, running through anything, he is just straight up sprinting through the bush, right? 15 lions are all draped all over this elephant. Eventually, huge, massive, strong. This elephant was not weak. It wasn't sick, didn't have a broke leg, wasn't young. Massive, healthy, full-grown elephant gets drugged down. Next morning, they show the kind of the carcass. Bones are left, right? Okay. There's this imagery in the Bible of Satan being a lion and kind of sin attacking. Like in Genesis 4, God is talking to Cain right after he's kind of rejected um, th- this offering that Cain and Abel, that Cain has made. And he looks at Cain, he says, why are you downcast? And then this is what he's going to say to Cain. God looks at Cain and says, um, if you would do right, your countenance would be lifted. But then he says this, do you not know that sin is at your door? Like it is crouching at your door, waiting to leap, waiting to attack. If you want the picture of sin, that is it. Okay, now everybody look at me when I say this. I I want you to hear this this morning. Sin and Satan don't slumber. 
never sleep, always there behind every door, never turn their back, always looking at you, always offering. And can we just be honest? The brutal truth is that Satan is devouring, stalking, and capturing many good men and good women. I'm not talking about the sick ones. I'm not talking about the, I'm talking about good men and good women. Mainly because they are isolated. Mainly because they are doing life all on their own. Mainly because they do not have community around them. Mainly because they do not have a situation set up in life where they can be honest with other people. I've been in ministry for eight years now. And I have seen almost on a yearly basis somebody close to me. Okay, listen. A good man falls hard. Anytime you see adultery, anytime you see crazy immorality, anytime you see embezzlement, here's what you can bet on. That is an isolated person. An isolated person. Okay, I, I came across this, uh, this quote this week. I want to read this to you. It's in the secrecy of isolation that pornography grows from a cheap thrill to a devastating addiction. It's in the secrecy of isolation that lustful thoughts turn into to devastating addiction. It's in the secrecy of isolation that lustful thoughts turn into heart, uh, hurtful actions. It's in the secrecy of isolation that eating disorders become life-threatening. It's in the secrecy of isolation that unforgiveness becomes bitterness and becomes hatred, turning into rage and violence. It's in the secrecy of isolation that self-centeredness leads to depression. It's in the secrecy of isolation that depression turns into thoughts of suicide. Sin craves isolation. Satan stalks those in the shadows of isolation okay here's a thought that i want you to write down and i want to make sure you remember this out of this morning the more isolated you are in life the more dangerous your life becomes the more isolated you are the more dangerous your life becomes okay look at me here as soon as there is a secret you and then a you you present to the world. As soon as that happens, you are on the cliff that has your death on the other end of it. Okay, so this is going to launch us into where we're going this morning. Acts chapter 2. We've been in this conversation about core values. And here's what core values are. Let me just catch you up real quick. Core values are what we want to become as people of Stonegate. What we want this body of people to be. That's what core values are. So we've talked about missional living. We want the gospel to surround everything we do. Every conversation we have. We want the gospel to be present in all of those. We've talked about truth. How we want to be people pursuing the truth of scripture. It is vital for you to be a person who knows your scripture. Scripture, mainly because, not so you can have more knowledge, mainly so you can know Jesus. And then when that truth hits us, it, it's expressed in all these different ways on this horizontal playing field. That's what we call Christian spirituality. It's all these things that the truth does to us as it's expressed outwardly. And we talked last week about service. We want to be people laying our life down in radical acts of sacrifice for the glory of God. Okay, those are these core values. Okay, so this one we're talking about this morning is the opposite of isolation. It's community. Okay, so let's pick it up here in Acts chapter 2. 
Acts 2 verse 41. Here's how we're starting. So those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Probably a familiar verse if you've been here for the last two months. This is where we started almost every sermon for the last four or five. Okay, so, so here's the point why we come back to verse 41 every time. Because it's the gospel that changes everything. Okay, so we talk about this a lot. We talk about the gospel converts. It changes. Okay, now here is a major misconception that we have. And this is in this room. It's not something they have. It's something we have. Um, When we think of conversion, we think of what the gospel does to us. There's at least three different conversions it has. Three different conversions that kind of sit over our life with the gospel. I'm going to give you two of them. One is it converts us to Christ. For the first time, we love Jesus. We want to pursue Jesus. We, We want to follow Jesus. That's what the gospel does to us. It converts us to Jesus. For the first time, we love Jesus, want Jesus. But listen, that's not where the gospel stops in us. It not only converts us to Jesus, it converts us to the people of Jesus. It converts us to community. Okay, now most of us don't run here. Most of us do not go here. Um, I read this the other day, that the biggest demographic in church world in America are those that profess Jesus but have no allegiance to a church. The biggest religious demographic in America. Love Jesus, not the body of Christ. When we are converted by the gospel, it converts us to Jesus and to the people of God, to the body, to the church. That's what it does for us. Okay, most of us have a bobblehead approach to Christianity. We love the head, we love Jesus, but we don't have the body. Like we've got this big head bobbing around everywhere, but this little miniature body, this this lack of appreciation for this connection to the body of Christ. Okay, now I want you to see as we read Acts 42 and on, that you're going to see the gospel has changed them, converted them to Jesus, but it's also converted them into community. And watch how this plays out. And they devoted themselves. This wasn't kind of a lackadaisical, we'll see what happens. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And you might circle this word fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temples together... And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's what you've got. You've got this playing itself out. They are doing life together, converted to Jesus and converted to the people of Jesus, to the church. Okay, so you've got, like, they're in close proximity. They're living together. They're sharing meals together. People are coming into their homes and they're eating together. Spirituality is working itself out together. Okay, so they're praying together. It's not a solo thing. They are doing all these things together. They are worshiping God together. They're doing it in their homes together. They're selling their pro like, together. They're doing all these things in Acts chapter 2. They're committed to, to Jesus and they're committed to the body. That's their value. Okay, so how does this play out? And how is this expressed here? Okay, this, this would be the statement that I think would express what we're going for this morning. And when we talk about community in this body, here, here would, it would be. Community. We must be people pursuing authentic relationships with the body. In the body of Christ, we must be people pursuing authentic 
relationships. Okay. I've got, this this is going to be a huge next few minutes for you as we talk through this. And it's probably my number one worry for us as a group of people. And, and here's why it's a big worry to, to me personally, is because I worry about it in myself. There is a tendency in all, all of us, all of us, to hide. It is uncomfortable for every person in this room to have authentic relationships. Well, listen to me. Where we pop up the hood of our lives and allow people to look at what's inside. When we open the door and invite somebody to see even the dirty stuff. When we take people to the back bedroom and open up the back bedroom closet that is completely messy. You know that closet? You have one of those? That's tough for everybody. Okay, now look at me here. Unless we are a people who invite that and pursue that, we will never be the church that God has called us to be. You know what we'll be? We'll be a fake group of people that come in here and worship on Sunday, lift our hands on Sunday, bring our Bible, hold our Bibles up, but in real life, we know we're fake. And that tendency is in every one of us in here. So I worry about this for us. The more, da- or the more isolated we become, the more dangerous our life becomes. The more isolated we are, the more dangerous things come out. Okay, so let's roll here. We're going to go back to Genesis 1. And, and maybe I could start by, by asking you this. Do you have those sort of relationships in your life? Do you have the sort of relationships with people that they know where you really struggle? They know the back bedroom, messy closet, you. They know that part of you. Do you have people in your life that way? That you've given access to that area? Okay, so so here's what we're going to find in Genesis 1. You you can go ahead and go to Genesis 2. We're going to look at verse 18 here in just a second. But in Genesis 1, here's what's playing itself out. You have got people, or you've got God. He's creating. So, So God is in this creating mode. Okay, planet Earth is taking shape right now. So God is creating the great white shark. He's creating the fish. He's creating all these things, creating the mountains. And he's calling it good. He creates night, day. He calls it good. He creates um, land. He calls it good. He creates dogs, calls it good. He, He creates cats. Horrible. Bad idea, right? Okay, so he's creating all of these things. And he's looking at all of them. And he calls it good. Okay, then he gets to the crown of creation. The prized possession. He creates man. He looks at man, says it's good at the end of chapter 1. Okay, now you go to chapter 2, and here's what you're going to find in verse 18. The first time God's created, everything is good. Things are going great. And he looks at man in verse 18, and he says, this is not good. This is the first not good in the scriptures. Okay, here it is in in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said... It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper, fit for him. Because I'm going to make for him a helper. Here's what he's saying. Okay, the narrow context is marriage. The broader context is the general way people operate. It's the general context by which God has created our hearts. 
It is not good for people to be alone. Here's what he's saying. People need community. Everybody does. We have got to be people pursuing authentic relationships, mainly because that's the way God has created us. We all, every one of us in here, need community. Okay, now notice, this is pre-fall. This isn't, I have sinned, so now I need community. This is the way God has created things to be. This is the way God has created your heart to operate. You need people on the inside of your life. You need them there. You need community. Okay, now here's what I think is interesting post-fall. Is the first thing that happens once sin is introduced is you've got this that takes place. Number one, people hide from God. When God comes in Genesis 3, here's the first thing he says to Adam and Eve. Where are you? Okay, now for Adam and Eve, here's what's happened between them. They start to cover themselves. They get the fig leaves out. They are covering themselves before each other. So, so here's what happens when sin is introduced. Solidarity, isolation enters. And this is why top two commandments in the scriptures are one, connect back to God. Love God. Number two, love people. Reconnect to people. It is the cure for the curse. It is the cure for the sin and the effects of that in Genesis 2 and 3. Okay, so all of us need community. Now, here, okay, now, now look at me on this. I don't think I have to spend a whole lot of time saying you need community. You need people who know you. you. Because I think all of us, there is an ingrained, intrinsic knowledge in you that realizes that. There is an ingrained thing in you that knows I need closeness. I've got to have it. So I'm not going to spend time like doing the heavy lifting there. But here's what I think is really interesting. We all know we should have it. But no one does. 99 out of 100 people I know live isolated. 99 out of 100 people I know do not lift up the hood for other people to look at. 99 out of 100 people I know lock the back bedroom closet that's got trash all in it. 99 out of 100. So so here's what I want to do. Let me just run through a couple of things that community will do for you. Why it's so important for you to live. Like you need this. You have got to have people in your life that you are honest with. Okay, let, let me give you a couple of reasons why. Community has a way of cultivating clarity in us. Okay, let's be, would you agree that you have dysfunction? I mean, would you agree that you do? Not just me, but you. I think we all have dysfunction. In this room, I, I guarantee you, if we got kind of the crew that you kind of run with, kind of know you, and we got them locked up in a room and said, hey, what do you think about him? Every group that we did that with could say, I know that about him. I know he's got this little weird quirk. I know he's got this little thing that he does. Every one of us had people that could do that. And, and you know what's amazing about it? A lot of times we're unaware of it. We're unaware. Here is what community will do for you. It will be the glasses that give you the clarity to see who you really are. It will do that. It brings clarity to the picture. It helps you see where your blind spots are. It helps you see where you need help seeing the blind spots. It helps you see those things. Without them, you will never see it. 
Or secondly, you'll see it, you'll never change. Without community, people who know those things, you give an access in, without them speaking that into your life, you'll remain blind to it. Okay, um, I love this verse in, in Galatians 2. You don't have to flip there. But Peter, he is in this hypocrisy mode. Like, I'm doing this in front of these people and this in front of those people. And in Galatians 2, uh, Paul looks at Peter and says, you know what? You are out of step with the gospel. Paul says this, I opposed him to his face. You know, we all need that. People to oppose us, not behind us, but to our face. It brings clarity for us. Okay, how about this one? Community cultivates obedience. Have you noticed inside of your heart that there is a tendency for your heart to grow cold to the things of God? Have you, have you noticed that? That if you're not careful, your heart will go dim and it will... I, I love Come Thou Found. It has this line in it that says we're prone to wonder. I mean, have you noticed that about yourself? That you are prone to wonder. Um, I'll never forget this guy that used to work with me. Um, I, I was listening to him speak one time, and he, he told this story when he was in high school. He started dating this girl. I can't remember what the girl's name was. And he's dating this girl when one of his friends comes up to him and says this. I know why you're dating her. I know why you're dating her. And he walks off. We all need people in our life who will come up to us and say, I know why you're doing that. I'm not, I can see that. I'm not blind. If you do not have community in your life, you will always live in disobedience longer. Let me say that one more time. If you do not have community in your life, you'll always live in disobedience longer. Hebrews 3 and verse 13, it's going to kind of present this picture of we as people, the body of Christ, the community around each other, we are to exhort one another so that when our hearts grow hard, we can fight through that. We need that. We have got to have people. We cannot, I, I love this terminology, we cannot wear the cape. You are not Superman. I am not Superman. We have got to have people in our life that we bear all to and say, this is the real me. That know the inside of us, pursuing authentic relationships, community. Those authentic relationships, they bring obedience in our life. We will always live longer in sin if we do not have good community. Our hearts will grow dark, they'll grow calloused, and we will live there without people willing to have tough conversations. You know, okay, if you want to know how much people love you in life, measure it this way. If you want to know how much the people around you love you, measure it this way. How often do they have tough conversations with me? That is how you can measure, do people love me? People loving you is not just allowing you to walk down a road to your death. It's not allowing you to walk off the cliff. People who love you say this, there is a cliff and you're walking off of it. That's what people who love you do. How often do people around you say, bro, we've got a problem right here. I can see it. That's what you call exhorting. That is Hebrews 3.13, exhorting one another. So our hearts don't grow cold. 
hard. That's what that means. Do you, okay, so here's what I'm asking. This is the, the one thing we are pressing on this morning. Do you have those people in your life that know you well enough that you've given permission to do those sorts of things? Okay, that, that's, where we're, that's what we're pressing on. Community fosters, it cultivates obedience in us. And here's the last one. Community does this. Community cultivates advancement. We are all in a war. I mean, that's how the Bible describes life. That there is a real enemy with real weapons that are aimed at a real you. We are all in a war. Okay, now men. I want you men to look at me in this room. I want to describe your role for you. This is the role of a man in this room. As men, here is your job. As your wife fights this battle, your job is to step in front of your woman and to fight for her. That is the biblical role of a man. You step in front of, you lovingly lay your life down badly. Your wife should never have to battle alone. She should never have to battle a kid alone. She should never have to battle alone because her husband steps in front and stands in singles in here. The ladies around you, I'm talking friends, single men in this room. Your job is to step in front of ladies and fight for them. There should not be one lady around you that doesn't feel protected because you're in her life. That's the biblical role of a man. Now, men, let me show you what happens to us. We are standing in front of our wives, and all of a sudden, life punches you in the mouth, me in the mouth. Our nose is bloody. And you know what we have a tendency to do? Quit. Throw up our hands, sit down, and stop. Okay, now, men, I want you to grab this. If you, as a man, do not have a group of other men around you, you will drown in despair. And you know the trouble with community? It's too late when you're in trouble. It's too late. If you're not fostering it now in preparation for that day, your screams will be unheard and unanswered. Community surrounds, steps in front of, protects, battles with. It cultivates the advancement. We will not be the people God has called us to be here, the men that God has called us to be, the ladies God has called us to be, without community, without people stepping in front of us and fighting for us. We'll never be there. We'll never make it there. It cultivates advancement. Um, In 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, this is what it says in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Here's the thing. Without community, those things will never happen. How do you encourage people if they're not in community with you, if they're isolated? How do you push people if if they're isolated, if they're not around, if they're not walking with you? It won't happen. We all need community. It cultivates the advancement. It cultivates obedience. It cultivates those things. Without it, those things die. I mean, think about it this way. If I were to cut off my arm and throw it on the ground, how long will that arm last? 
about four days before it shrivels, right? If you are disconnected and isolated from the body, man, the source is not there. We tend to shrivel and die. We need community. Okay, now now here's the second part of this. Is it's not just enough to say we need it. That, that, That is a good first step, but it's not enough. It's not only a recognition that we desperately need community in this room pursuing authentic relationships with other people, but there has got to be a devotion to it. There has got to be a pursuit of community. Okay, now look back in Acts chapter 2. It's going to say this about this early church, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves. I mean, this was a priority. Like this was one of the, they devoted themselves, and then it's going to say the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship means to share. It means to participate together, to partner together. It's doing life together. They were committed to that. And so I, I want to encourage you just for a second, the guys in this room, specifically the guys, because there is a masculine myth that goes like this for guys. This masculine myth goes, if you're a real man, you don't need anybody. Our culture wears that, cultivates that. If you're a real man, you're self-sufficient. If you're a real man, You've got life together. We don't need other people. If you're a real man, you're independent. I, I want to encourage you with this. Don't let your pride isolate you. Don't let your pride isolate you. Don't let this, I've got it together. I don't need anybody else isolate you. Because it's a myth. You do. Um, there, there's this verse in Psalms 73. that is talking about uh, these people and they wear pride like a necklace. And you want a description of our culture? It is us wearing pride like a necklace. Self-sufficiency, independence. And you know what we do when we're prideful? We actively make our good, loving father act against us for our good. Have you thought about that? When you're prideful, we actively make God, our loving father, act against us for our good. Don't let your pride isolate you. Don't, how about this one? Don't let your fear isolate you. All of us have two people. Here, here are the two people inside of all of us. We have got the people we present to other guys. I mean, the, the person you see right here, the person we all kind of, we've got that person, and then we've got the real us. We've all got those people. The, one of the scariest things in the world is letting people see the real you. Isn't it? The you that's really scared sometimes. The you that doesn't have it all together sometimes. The you that has a lot of dysfunction. The you that is the backroom closet, junk all in it. That you. Now here's how, I want to give you my week here. The battle this week for me was intense. Man, it raged this week. And there were some things in Rodney that the hood needed to be lifted so people could see. Now here's, here's how this plays out for me. I get into a car. Driving 40 minutes with a guy. That the hood needed to be lifted in front of. I talk myself out of it. I mean I, here, here's how this works. The pride part goes. Well I, I think I've got this under. It's fine. I, I, I've got this handled. They don't need to know that. I, we're, we're good. The pride. I mean just see. 
talk myself out of it. This fear part of, um, man, what, what are people going to think when they know the real, like the backed up or the back room, messy, junked up? I mean, what, what are people going to think when they know that, that person? On the way home, same 40-minute drive, now we're home, finally lifted the hood. Lifted it again the next day to uh, another one of the guys I run with. And can I just tell you that that was really freeing? When you lift the hood and you don't have secrets. When there's not a you over here and then a you that you present. Can I just tell you it's freeing, it's worth it. I hated every second of that conversation. Every second of it. But can I tell you that it's worth it? To make sure there are people that you are bearing the inside to. Man, don't let fear. Here's what it will test in you as, you as you do that. It will test in you, is your identity really in Jesus or not? Because here's the beauty of being in Christ. As messed up and as sinful as you are, you're Jesus's. That's your identity. Your identity is never a sin. As dysfunctional as we are, it is never, that is never your identity. Your identity is always, you are the kings. That's who you are. Man, don't let the fear of those conversations pull you into isolation. Here's how I try to express life for me. And I, I hope, this, this has got to be an atmosphere in this place. It's not something we can program. This has got to be an atmosphere. That we would be the sort of people, now listen to me on this, that live, are willing to live in glass houses. Let me ask you this question. Are you okay in a glass house? Are you okay with that? How about this question? Can anybody see into your house right now? Do you have anybody peering in? You need that. And it doesn't happen by accident. You have got, we have got to be people who pursue it. Okay, last thing and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Here's the beauty about community is the community and this is how this is how i want to express it is the gospel's vehicle it's the gospel's vehicle so let me show you in Acts chapter 2 how this plays out the gospel does not have legs the gospel has no wheels on it the gospel has none of those things the gospel is stationary it doesn't move by itself the community of people in the church the body is the vehicle on which the gospel moves so watch how this plays out acts 241, the gospel hits, it lands on a group of people, and then this is how it plays out. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now look at verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Okay, you come down to verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all people. And then look at the last phrase here. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the point. We will never, it is not enough for us as a church to preach the gospel. It's not enough. We're not going to be faithful to what God has called us to be in this place if all we do is preach the gospel. It is not enough. 
we have got to be people who not only faithfully preach the gospel, but live it in community. Who live out the gospel in authentic relationships. That is the vehicle on which the gospel rides. So if we want people to see Stonegate and say that is a truth-loving, gospel-seeking place, it will not happen because of this stage. It will not happen because of preaching. It will not happen because of worship. That will only happen when groups of us live in authentic community, in relationships. That alone is how that happens. That's it. Francis Schaeffer, um, one of these shaping forces of Christianity over the last 50 years, He says it this way, that Christian community, authentic relationships, it is the criteria by which the world judges Christianity. How we live out in community is the way the world judges Christianity. And then he says this, Christian community is the final apologetic. It is the final thing that people look at Christianity and say, yeah, I I can see that, or they don't. It's how you and I live in a community together with the gospel. That is the deal. Okay, so I want to give you some practical things and then we're going to leave here today. Practical thing number one. Plug into a home group. Like if you would say, okay, I acknowledge I need community. I want to pursue community. This is step one. Plug into a home group. There's a home group table right back there. We've got five home groups currently meeting. You need to make sure your life is invested into one of those. That is step one in the community. Okay, thing number two goes like this. You can go to a home group and never have community. So you have got to pursue it with a few people. Okay, so step one would be to get into a home group. That's step one, how that thing starts. But step two is you have got to pursue it within a smaller group of people. I'm not saying invite everyone to see the trash in your life. I am saying this, invite the right people into your life where they can see it all. If you don't, you're a step away from a cliff. You're a step away of being the statistic. As long as you are living by yourself, isolated, you are living in a dangerous place. Pursue it with a group of people. Okay, look at me here. Most people have to be asked to call you out on things. They have to be asked. Ask people. Make sure you lift up the hood and say, this is the trash. When you see it, help me. You've got I know that is so scary. So all of that, it is so essential into you being who God has called you to be. Open up your life to other people. Third thing I tell you this, is you have got to simplify your life to such a degree that you can run with people. That you can hook up your life with other people and live with them. Here's what that means. If you're out Every single night of the week, it's impossible to have good community. It's impossible. You look in Acts 2, there was proximity. They were close to one another. There was frequency. They met often. They talked often. I am the world's worst at cramming five things into the space of one thing, right? You probably are too. If we do not create margin in our life and space in our life, community will never happen. Close with this. I um, heard a guy speaking here a while back, 
and his story went like this. He's speaking to a group of young, maybe 7th, 8th, ninth graders. And uh, it, man, his story was gut-wrenching. Okay, so they have their second child. In the middle of this, this labor, birth, this whole thing coming about, uh, there was a few complications, nothing too serious. But they had to give his wife a blood transfusion. So they give her the transfusion. Everything's fine. Send her home. They get a call two weeks later. Hey, we need to come do some follow-up tests. They come, do some blood work, send her home. Call her a week later. Hey, we need you and your daughter both to come back in, your, new, your newborn child. Um, bring them both back in, run tests, and look at this family and say, we have no idea how this happened, but that blood we gave you, it slipped through our tests. They were inadequate. It was HIV positive, and you and your daughter have it. Over the next two years, this man watched his wife waste away with AIDS. Watched his little daughter waste away with AIDS. He stands up before these 7th, 8th, ninth graders and says, let me just read this quote to you. He says this, I hate this disease. My wife and my daughter had no choice as to whether this disease came into their life, but you do. And then he says this, I'm begging you to make decisions that will give you life. Can I tell you that isolation is more threatening to every person in this room than AIDS could ever be? And if you look at it as a disease, I would tell you this, I hate it. For you, from I hate it. Make decisions that will give you life. Amen? Let's pray.